0: Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. Hey friends, I'm going to hop in quickly to tell you what you're going to hear. This is part one of a two-part workshop on writing and producing audio drama from the Women's Theatre Festival Conference in 2020. The two-hour workshop was presented via Zoom by Aurelia Belfield and me on July 29th, 2020. Part one, which you're about to hear, focuses almost exclusively on tips for writing audio drama based on my experience writing Master Builder and The New Colossus. So I talk a lot in this episode. The tips I mention are not rules, and if they were, you could find multiple exceptions very easily. Rather, I think about them as factors to consider, especially if you are transitioning from writing for the stage to writing for audio. I feel like I learn more each day about writing for audio, so no doubt my own thoughts and approaches from July have continued to become more nuanced and refined. Part 2 will feature the wit and wisdom of executive producer Aurelia Belfield and will cover the producing aspect of making audio dramas, including casting, production teams, rehearsal and recording, etc. So stay tuned for that good stuff in the next episode and less of my voice. One last thing. What you are about to hear is essentially raw footage scooped from Zoom. Zoom. I cleaned it up a little by deleting big pauses and such, but it sounds exactly like it was. A live virtual workshop on Zoom during the pandemic. Big thanks to Chelsea Russell for covering the tech during our live session and Johanna Maynard Edwards, who gave us the okay to share this via Artist Soapbox. If you would like to submit to the Women's Theater Festival and Conference 2021, submissions are open until April 16th. More information on womenstheaterfestival.com. You'll see a link in the show notes. Enjoy.
1: Hi, everybody. Yes, hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, Welcome to The Art of Writing and Producing Audio Drama. I am Aurelia Belfield. This is Tamara Kassane. And we produce audio drama. We write and produce audio dramas. (laughs) Amazing. I function mainly as a creative producer, music supervisor. It's also what I do in my sort of day-to-day job and life. And I got connected with Tam a long time ago, just as buddies. And we started doing the stuff together because we found we both had a love for it. But I'll let Tam take it away on the directing, writing, producing portion of it.
0: Just a little bit of a a bio for me. I'm a theater maker and a dramatist and a podcaster. I live in Durham, North Carolina. I'm the 2020 Piedmont Laureate. Uh, I started a podcast in 2017 called Artist Soapbox, and that was to feature triangle area artists talking about their uh, creative process. And so I was motivated to start a podcast uh, because I had two young children I still have two young children, and uh, that meant that I wasn't able to show up in quite the way that I wanted to for rehearsal, for performances, pretty much for anything. And so by transitioning to audio, I gained a lot more flexibility, and making audio drama was kind of an extension of my interest in both podcasting and in theater. Uh, I started out, uh, as far as audio drama goes, with adapting my stage scripts into audio scripts, and now I'm writing directly to audio, uh, instead kind of bypassing that stage version, and all of this will come up as we continue this conversation. Aurelia and I worked on The New Colossus podcast, which is an audio drama based on an adaptation of Chekhov's The Seagull, and that was released Earlier this year, hard to believe, um, 2020. And then I'm currently working on multiple collaborative audio fiction pieces um, and anthologies. In 2019, I released an audio drama called Master Builder, which was also an adaptation of a theater script and was based on Ibsen's classic text of the same name. Before we begin, I just wanted to express my gratitude for the Women's Theater Festival and for this platform, for you all for being here, for Aurelia and all the people that I've worked with because everybody has just been so awesome. I want to acknowledge that these are very difficult and exhausting times, especially, well, these are very difficult and exhausting times, at least they are for me. And so thank you for carving out time to be here. And I hope that in some ways, us coming together virtually is a balm, perhaps for you. Um, I find myself working in a brokenhearted kind of way quite frequently, but coming together like this really helps. So, Aurelia, do you want to talk about what we're going to cover today?
1: Sure, yeah. And just a little bit of background on me. I have already told you that I work uh, as a creative producer and also a music supervisor in my usual day-to-day life here in Raleigh. Uh, I'm also a performer. I am a playwright. I am a director um, and I've worked you know regionally and all over. And it is a fun, fun world to be a part of. I know I know several of you from that world and I am grateful for you all to take some time out of the middle of your day. I hope um, you're having lunch or something yeah. equally as lovely. And thank you for the Women's Theater Festival for making the space for us to talk about this. I'm really psyched about audio dramas even before now, but especially now because I think it's really democratic way of making art. I think it is something that gives access both from the audience perspective and from the creative perspective to more folks uh, that otherwise might not be able to be a part of this community. So folks with mobility issues, parents of children who can't always you know take their nights off, people that have to work long hours. And so I think as much as we can expand our audience base, And expand the types of works that we get to sort of see and hear the better. So, I hope that this inspires you guys to explore more of this uh, realm of storytelling. Yeah, and what we're going to talk about today is a lot of stuff, sort of soup to nuts, how to do an audio drama. And we're going to focus today on scripted audio fiction. I have. Tam and I both have a background in sort of interview style podcasting and then made the jump into scripted audio fiction, which is a little bit different from what you would think of like a radio play, which is more of a Prayer Home Companion uh, sort of thing to give it a bit of an allegory. And this specific sort of audio fiction is very immersive. Uh, it relies a lot on stuff like music and sound design, and it essentially is like a play or a film, but it is just for your ear holes and not for any part of your eye holes, right? And it can be broken up into parts, or it can be very long, or it can be an anthology of sorts, or it can be ongoing for seasons and seasons like a television show does. And we're just going to give you a general overview of how this works. How do we conceptualize it? How do we write it? How do we direct it? How do we produce it? And then how do we get it to you fine folks? Uh we are not engineers, uh, even though we've we've both had to wear many, many hats over the years when it comes to making podcasts. And I know if any of you all do make podcasts, you know what that's like. But I do not claim to be an engineer. Uh Tamra also does not claim to be an engineer. So we're not gonna get into sort of the nitty-gritty of how to cut an audio drama or how to sound design for an audio drama, this is definitely a sort of 30,000 feet overview of conceptualizing, writing, dealing with actors, creating your collaborative team and distribution. So um, if you wanted to hear about, you know, this is the, these are the programs that we use and these are the templates and, and these are the specific types of microphones that we use. That's not going to happen today. I'm sorry to disappoint you. What we'll get into, uh, as we talk about sort of building a team, we have some wonderful folks in the area that we like to work with when it comes to all of that good stuff. And so I'm sure we'll drop some names and you can look them up. Mm-hmm.
0: Awesome. First, uh, disclaimer, and then a question for the room. There are lots of different ways to make these pieces and we're only gonna talk about our experience, but if this interests you at all, there is a place for you within this medium and the way that you want to do it. You can scale this very much like you would scale any kind of indie theater production. We're speaking from our own experience um, with the acknowledgement that ours is only one way of doing a thing. For the audience, can we ask you please? How do you think that scripted audio fiction is the same or different when compared to theater? Pop it in the chat. What do you think? Same or different?
1: I definitely know how I feel about that. I know that there are some real misconceptions about how they are the same and how they are different. But I think Jeanette says it's different. Megan says that it's different. I think everybody says they are different but equal in value, which is the right answer. How are they different folks? What do you think? Oh, Megan says it's different. It's one voice doing all of the characters. Hmm. I, Megan, I think you might be thinking about audiobooks, which is an awesome thing, uh, but it is a different thing. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No visual spectacle. Yes. Relies on sound. Yes, yes, yes. All of this. Correct. Correct. Theater has more of a visual design. Yes. And yes. And yes. So I think we're all coming into this on the same page. Storytelling relies on the listener's imagination to fill in the holes. That is definitely a part of it. Similar in that you have to have the potential to be immersed in the storytelling. Different in that you are creating the images as a listener and theater gives you the visuals. That is an awesome perspective, Juliana.
0: Thank you so much. Another question would be, and earlier kind of touched on this a little bit, but when we're talking about scripted audio fiction with immersive sound design, which is what we are talking about today, what do you think that means?
1: I, I think this might be a harder one. Yeah,
0: a scripted audio fiction with immersive sound design. What are kind of the hallmarks of that?
1: Mm, that includes atmosphere. Yes, Juliana mm audio somebody saying audio drama relies on a narrator to describe what's happening okay
0: okay yep Franny's Franny's hitting it there uh, actors performing a script with a fully created soundscape
1: mm-hmm music and sound effects sound effects and music complement and contrast the words okay yes, 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 thank you everybody yeah.
0: Oftentimes, when we talk about doing audio dramas, people immediately go to radio plays, and, and that is certainly something that we kind of we understand as a culture, uh, as kind of a callback to radio plays. The scripted audio fiction that we make is not live, as as some people mentioned. It's pre recorded and then sound designed, um, so it is. Not people recording live and being broadcast over the radio while they're doing like the footsteps next to the microphone and doing all that fully work at the same time simultaneously. As you'll hear when we talk about the recording process and the post-production process, there are different kind of layers to this than you would have if you were performing this as a live event in the same in the way that theater is performed as a live event. And also the sound design that we're talking about, which is more immersive, it's just more fully realized with some scoring. And I don't know, do you want to say anything about else about that?
1: Sure. Yeah. So when we talk about immersive sound design, we're talking about really building a world. And we're talking about sort of you as a listener being plopped into the middle of a story, as opposed to with things like radio plays and audio books, you have the story that's being told to you. I think with sort of in your brain, audio dramas are sort of working the same way as theater or film, where you can sort of jump in at any point, in the story and rely on showing versus showing versus telling whereas you have the characters sort of catching you up on story and exposition as opposed to something like a radio play where you have a narrator giving you that story and exposition and then also sort of vignettes of scenes uh with the characters uh or audio books where you have a narrator telling you the whole story as prose and that that narrator may be a voice actor that is doing several voices. I've seen seen I've heard some audiobooks that, sort of em- employ other actors for specific character voices. But generally speaking, you are, you're listening to a book as if somebody were, were reading you a book and audio drama or narrative, audio drama, scripted podcast, narrative podcast, all different words, meaning the same thing, but it is much more like a, a theater production or a film that you, that you can't, that you can't see. <laughs>
0: Mhm mhm much more fly on the wall kind of. All right, should we jump into the to the first pocket? Yeah, let's go. All right. So hopefully as we continue through more things will come up that sh- that will explain the similarities and the differences between theater and audio dramas. You hit on several of them. There are more uh, both of the similarities and the differences, but I want to jump right in to the writing piece, um, because I I'm a playwright and I happened to be the writer for Master Builder and for the new Colossus, and you know the chief thing that we need to ask ourselves when we're writing audio drama is what happens when we can no longer rely on the visual aspect and the live aspect of theater what do you lose when you don't have those? And what do you gain? Um, Because that affects the way that you write and then later on um, affects the way that you rehearse, record and produce the piece. So I learned a lot from adapting from the stage to audio. And then I also am learning a lot as I write straight to audio. I can't cover everything because that would be like a whole week long course about this, but I have about seven quick considerations that are related to writing audio drama that I'd like to bring up for you. And I'm writing and I'm talking about this from the viewpoint of a theater maker, because I'm imagining that most of us are theater makers who are considering this right now. And that's my experience. Okay. So here we go, everybody. The big thing is that the audiences and the listening habits for the audience is different um, between theater and podcasts or audio dramas, right? So audio listeners are very likely multitasking. They're not sitting in a dark theater giving you their full attention, right? Audio listeners are more likely if you don't grab their attention. There's a, an audio drama maker named Wayland, who I really admire, and he says, we have about 30 seconds to two minutes to capture your listeners. Otherwise, they will bounce to go to listen to something else. So you don't have that same kind of captive audience, and that affects the way that you build your story. The nice thing about audio is that your listeners can rewind and re-listen, and they can also go back and re-listen to previous episodes, which is really cool. But as you write, you want to think about how to dial in the appropriate amount of complexity so that multitaskers can follow what you're doing. And you also want to think about uh, whether or not you need to remind your listeners of names, relationships, kind of key elements, especially between The episodes, if you're writing a series of short episodes, they might need to be refreshed about who these people are, right? The audience and the listener habits also have an impact on the arc of your piece, the structure, and the length. So when you're writing for audio, and especially if you're writing episodically, as I mentioned, it's really important to start out strong. You need to grab them right away and keep them listening. And if you're writing episodically, every the end of every episode is something like a cliffhanger, right? So if you're writing a 15-minute audio drama episode, it's like you're writing to an intermission for theater. So at the end of your episode, you have to, to end it in such a way that encourages people to come back from that intermission, to listen to the next episode. That's really the key piece with trying to keep your listeners coming back um, because they can't they can leave so easily. Most scripted audio fiction pieces that I have come across are short. They're between six to thirty minutes, with the average being around 15 minutes. And that has to do again with those listener habits where people are in transit. They're do- they might be doing housework. They might be on a walk as they're listening. So they're not going to carve out necessarily that 90 minutes or two hours to sit down and listen straight through an entire uh, first act of a play. Something that I've been really interested in thinking about as a playwright is these kind of mini arcs. So again, if you're writing episodically, you have the arc of the episode, right? You have a 20-minute piece that has to have a shape of it. And then if you have nine 20-minute pieces, that season has to have a larger arc, right, to it as well. And, that 20, and those nine episodes in that season is actually a lot of writing, right? So if you have nine episodes at 20 minutes each, that's like three hours of writing, um, which is different than writing for that 90 to 120 minutes that you would write for theater. Um, the way that you tell your story, actually, you can... You can kind of stretch things out in audio. You can kind of go down some rabbit trails because you have that length of time, especially if you're writing season one, season two. You can really take your time in telling the story, but you just have to start it sooner. You really have to get that first episode nailed down really solidly so that people continue to to listen. Some of you talked about this, the visual elements, right? That's the big thing. When we talk about the difference between live theater and audio drama, all of the visual elements for audio need to be handled differently. So if you are a theater director or you are a playwright and you say to yourself, I will clear that up in the staging. I will clear that up with lighting designs, set design, costume design, stage pictures. That doesn't work in audio. You need to attend to that because we, as theater audience people, we actually get a lot through our eyeballs about relationship, about setting, about action, identifying information. So you don't have those kinds of visual cues that to give to your audience that helps them understand the story. Things like proximity between characters, simultaneous action, movement in silence, uh, or movement with music. Those are tools for the theater that don't necessarily translate really well to audio. Here's an example. So for the new Colossus, which I mentioned was originally staged at Man Bites Dog Theater, I had to write in a completely new seven page introductory scene that didn't exist in the stage version in order to make it make sense in audio. So on stage, uh, the setting, the concept and the relationships were all kind of established with this fluid Beginning as the audience entered the theater, the music played while the characters set up the stage, we could see the characters interact with one another. Some of the characters interacted with the audience because they were all supposed to be one larger audience. Well, none of that translated to audio. So I had to write a different kind of expository uh, seven-page scene, just setting up all the things that were covered in that sort of pre-show setup for the stage. Uh, the new Colossus also had a script that was heavily based on using film as a visual element. So uh, our main one of our main characters, Conrad, was a filmmaker, and we had films playing during the stage version while dialogue was still happening and people were getting a lot of information through their eyes because of his filmmaking and that had to be changed as well. Aurelia, do you want to talk about the the dialogue piece about how to include some of some of these things that audience members need to know?
1: Sure. I think a big part of it is how, like you mentioned, in our more casual interactions with each other, there's so much information that we get. And with a show like this, you want to make sure that the casualness is preserved. Um, You want to make sure that sort of colloquialisms are, are preserved and you don't want you don't want that exposition to feel super stilted or just like shoehorned in. like, okay, I have to tell you about what's going on. So here you go and you can't see anything. So I'm just going to dryly explain it to you or have people say things that people just wouldn't say to each other. Right. People wouldn't just straight describe certain things or like, why are you doing this very specific movement that is relevant to the story? Right. But we actually do, Things like this every day with each other, we talk about the weather, we talk about you know you got a new haircut or I really like your makeup today or you're wearing this particular outfit and I like it or I don't like it, or where where we are, what we're doing like we we do talk about these things if you meet up with somebody in the park and you say oh my gosh, uh, it's such a gorgeous day out. Let's go sit under this tree. I think it'll be more comfortable there since it'll be a little bit of shade and there's just so much sun. There's a way to have that happen in conversation that uh, feels organic and just moves you along with the story. And that is a way in which audio dramas are very much like a film, like writing for audio drama is very much like uh, screenwriting because you want to do a lot of showing and and not telling, and you want to have as much information as possible in your character-to-character dialogue. Mm -hmm.
0: So as an example, uh, we thought we might share the first minute and a half of the first episode of The New Colossus and then talk about what we were trying to cover in just the first 90 seconds. And then I will continue on and talk about more writing considerations. Chelsea, can you play the first minute and a half for us? Yes.
1: Ooh, she's here! She's here! About time. Conrad's pissed. He'll be Fine. She's here now. Ooh, from the big city. I'll tell him. No, I gotta... Someone tell everyone places.
0: I'll do it. Masha, save your energy for your music. It's really special, Masha. Ah,
1: thanks, dude. Everyone's gonna love it. How we know. Go. What are you doing? Welcoming the travelers with open arms, as my character would. Uh Uh-huh. Nina, welcoming arena.
0: (laughs) Starlet, greeting star. Brilliant. Med, want a swig before you go? Nah, I'll see you both on stage. Places, places, everyone. The show is about to begin. Oh, who is the dude?
1: Holy shit! That's Trig Orion. Um, who? Oh my God, I heard they were dating, but... Oh my God, both of them here? Give me that. Who is Trig (gasps) Orion? the author come on hangman's knuckles Uh uh-uh it's a bestseller i abhor popular fiction oh
0: my god oh my god oh my god why the hell did she bring him to this crummy town it's a fucking embarrassment
1: oh i can't perform with him in the audience
0: do it for conrad and it's really important to him oh i know that well okay thank you wonderful All right. So that was about 90 seconds. And what we were trying to cover in 90 seconds has to do with opening with some excitement and some motion, introducing listeners to the names, the characters and the relationships between them, giving them a sense of where this is set, the exposition and the general style of what this piece is going to be. And like I said, this is all brand new. It did not exist in the stage version. That was a scene with three people. And one of the things that I've noticed in audio is that it's often easier to have a smaller cast And it has to do with a couple of different things. So the nice thing about audio is that you can ultimately have a larger cast because you can bring people in, in these sort of drop-in pieces. So you can have temporary characters that are just featured in one episode. You can have one-liner people shouting from a crowd or being somebody who works in the, the supermarket. You can have a lot of people kind of dropping in and dropping out, but having a smaller number of primary cast members helps out in a lot of ways and some of those are logistic like cat like scheduling and financial like paying them but a lot of the that has to do with helping your listeners distinguish between the different voices. For the New Colossus on stage, I had a cast of eight, and there were a lot of group scenes with all eight people, and that can get very confusing for listeners, distinguishing between the different voices. It also means that you need to very carefully track um, how long between each person's last uh, piece of dialogue. So on stage, you can have somebody sitting there um, just watching for a very long period of time and your audience knows that they're there that entire time. So when they speak, it's not a surprise. But in audio, if you don't have someone speaking fairly regularly, you forget that they're there or you don't know that they're there. So that kind of acknowledgement gets a little bit trickier the more people you have in the audio scene. All right, setting. So this is my personal bias. A lot of theater people would disagree with me about this, but I think that the setting for audio is a little bit more flexible than theater. Um, You can go on location in a more immersive way through sound design. You can also toggle back, uh, back and forth quickly with sound cues. So you can be under the sea, you can be on the top of the mountain, you can be in the city, you can be in the country, and all of that can switch back and forth fairly quickly almost in a film style kind of way. So if you're making audio, it's it's pretty easy to take risks with locations. What can be challenging, I think, for both audio and the theater are stories that rely very heavily on visual experiences to tell the story, like sporting events. So if you need to be watching a soccer game being played, that is that is hard to do on audio and it's hard to do in the theater. Or if you're looking for like car chases or scripts that stories that rely heavily on extended fight scenes to tell the story it just doesn't translate as well you hear a lot of like uh, uh 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 but after that you're like done and you want to get back to people talking about what is happening so I think in audio, you can be pretty adventurous because as somebody, I think maybe it was Juliana mentioned in the chat, that we're really relying on our audience's imagination to fill in what the world looks like. So you can do things like magic, you can do things like other planets, you can do things like the future really unexpected or expensive locations. And again, you can kind of toggle back and forth because your listeners will fill in what that world looks like, as long as you're tending to the things that Aurelia mentioned about the world building. So you're building the the sonic world and you're also building the world through the way that the characters talk about where they are and kind of what the rules are in that place. Master Builder, which is the first audio drama that I uh, that I released in 2019, that was set entirely in an office. And I did that because on stage, it was a very economical choice and it didn't require a lot of um, moving pieces set wise. People could just kind of go into the office and it was there. And I made that choice for a specific reason. But translating office to audio even though our sound designer edith snow was amazing and we did a lot of things to kind of try and buoy that up and make it more interesting office is not as exciting as being you know in in, in most other places i think we can i think we can all agree on that right okay i've got let me look here i've got like about three or four more things to cover aurelia do you have anything that you wanted to
1: Sure. Uh, I would just add uh, from the sound design perspective and from the sort of ambience and world building perspective, if there's something that you feel like is really hard uh, that, but you just feel like you have to do it. Like if you, if there's a soccer game and especially if you're adapting something and there was a soccer game in the original piece, and it feels like a very important part of, of the story, that's when you sort of have to think outside of the box, right. With audio dramas and maybe instead of setting it at a soccer game, you're setting it in a sports bar, and you open your episode up with commentary from the TV in the sports bar, and then that sort of melts itself back into ambient background noise, including the noise from like bar noise, and you have your characters having a relevant conversation on top of all of that, so we know where we are, we know what our focus is, and that's still sort of in the back of your listener's mind. There's a, there's a way to make almost anything by that same token. There are gonna be some things that just don't work. There's some, some things that work wonderfully on stage that are not gonna work well in an audio drama format or in a film format. And there are things that work really, really well in audio dramas that don't translate well visually. And I would say as we're continuing to talk about uh, writing lean into the medium of this when you start thinking about what you're going to do, you know, outside of, you know, writing for audio dramas, if you're adapting something to an audio drama, lean, lean into the format, which is part of what Tam did for uh, new Colossus. Uh, she was talking about Conrad being a filmmaker and uh, we added a lot of sound effects and, dialogue to reinforce that in the piece but eventually not to give any spoilers because you absolutely should listen to it it's a very exciting exciting project but he we turned him into a podcaster he makes a shift from from film into podcasting for a for a reason uh but also so we could really have fun with the medium that we were dealing with
0: yes that was your idea and it was a really good one (laughs) <laughs> this is why teamwork makes a dream work, everyone. Sh- shall I continue? Is that okay? I say so. Okay, cool. All right. Let's talk about time because time passing is tricky in audio again, because we don't have those same kind of visual clues. So, you know, like when you're sitting in the theater and, or, or, or watching a film, I guess either would work, but There are costume changes to indicate that you are no longer in the present day. People do their hair differently. In films, they can um, age people or make them look younger. Sometimes on stage, the stage can be subdivided so that you kind of can see the past and see the present at the same time. Or you can also have on stage simultaneous uh, scenes occurring where you know they're not happening in the same room, but they're happening at the same time. And that's because of the lighting design and because of the way that the the set is subdivided. So those things are challenging to translate to audio because we don't have those same kind of visual clues. And there are a couple of ways kind of around that. Uh, Narrators can sometimes be helpful in helping your audience understand uh, what is happening, if it's a flashback, if it's moving forward. Um, But there are also ways you can kind of unobtrusively include time markers in dialogue. Sometimes people include sound signals like, you know, that rewinding sound like that. Not like that, but better. Or a, a watch, a ticking watch indicate time passing, indicate kind of a rewind experience, but you need to attend to time passing in a slightly different way so that people don't get confused. Even when you do things like have on stage, you could have adult actors using kid voices and you know, they're just like going back in time. So they're being their, their kids selves. When you do that on audio, it can be confusing because people are, our listeners are suddenly thinking, okay, I hear an adult voice sounding like a kid voice. Who, who is this? Is this an adult or a kid? Or you could include children like child actors, but then you have to make sure that you're very clear about what characters those are. So time, time can kind of be a tricky element to kind of slide back and forth. Location, I think personally, is a little bit easier to move around in, um, as opposed to time. But I think that's partially because I really like the idea of simultaneous scenes happening on stage. And so I just need to like get over that. (laughs) Characters. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. But Even as a writer, you need to be thinking very carefully about the voices that you are writing. So, how similar are the voices in group scenes? For example, if you write one scene that includes four 20 something white Southern women all in one scene together, you need to be careful for a lot of reasons, right? If you want to do that, you need to make sure that their characters are very distinct in the word choice and kind of their character traits in the way they talk to one another. And then when you shift to casting, their voices need to be very distinct. I find that, If we have people with a lot of similar demographic profiles, sometimes their voices sound very much interchangeable and we don't have those visual cues. So when you're listening and you're casting, the voices need to be very different from one another. You could also choose, of course, to not put four 20-something white Southern women in one scene together, which is a very valid choice. So we want to ask ourselves do you have too many similar voices in one scene? Do you have a character who relies on visual action or visual signifiers for their character to work? So for example, if you have a character on stage whose whole shtick is their size, it's a very, very big person and they're very imposing and there are a lot of sight gags around that. If you want to have that same character in an audio drama, you need to find ways to imp- to um, imply that size is a big deal in the dialogue in the way that you talk about that character also in the voice, like the actual uh, audible voice of the character. So you can um, cast a very slight actor who has a very deep and booming voice, which Im- implies size. Um, and then you also want to think about that in the sound design. So maybe booming footsteps or something like that to, Im- to imply all of the. visitor. All this kind of takes us around and around the central idea, which is about writing with sound. So, sound effects in audio drama are many things. They are your stage, essentially, your stage directions. They are a character in some senses, a scene partner. So, thinking about how to use sound as a narrative tool, sound to indicate action sound in place of dialogue, as punctuation, as a joke, as an emotional lever, as a surprise. And you include all of those in the script that you write. They're written in much like stage directions. So the question that I ask myself as a playwright and then also as a director is, um, what sound effects does a listener need to understand the story, right? And so when writing dialogue, we need to consider what does the audience absolutely need to know, and when do they need to know it? You don't need to say what the audience can already figure out, but you need to say what they can't figure out right I think revelation like when you reveal certain ideas through sound design or through dialogue is really important in audio and it can um, it can help you play audio jokes on your listeners, which is also really funny so Last thing for me are two vocabulary words, which I didn't know, and maybe you already know them, but uh, they are diegetic and non-diegetic sound. So does anybody know, is anybody familiar with those two words, diegetic or non-diegetic sound? Okay. Somebody said yes. Did anybody want to venture what uh, a guess as to what those the difference is there? Yes. Diegetic sound is often called actual sound. So it is sound that is included in the reality of the scene. So for example, if we were doing a restaurant scene, the the diegetic sound might be the crowd sound in the background. It might be ice clinking in a glass. It might be drinking sounds. It might be fork uh, and knife sounds on the plate. Those are all part of the reality of the scene that that these characters are in. And you can use music as diegetic as well. So in the New Colossus, we have people playing music in the scene as part of like what is going on in the reality of those characters. Um, so that in that case, that is diegetic sound. Non-diegetic sound is the stylized sound. So that is not within the sort of actual reality of those particular characters. It could include underscoring like film music, could include narration. So another character kind of speaks in, you know, with the God voice over the scene. Anything that's outside of the reality of the world is non-diegetic sound. Sometimes um, you can use this in distorting actors' voices, which we used in Master Builder. So In the reality of the scene, their voices don't distort, but in order to kind of emphasize like the emotional quality or how the other character is hearing that, or to give audience members a way of paying special attention to that moment, we might distort the voice or cause an echo or something like that. So those are all things that you're thinking about when you're writing and when you're directing and sound designing a script. I'm going to get ready to share a page of the new Colossus. Aurelia, do you want to say anything before I do that? Uh,
1: sure. I, we're going to get into a new section in a minute about uh, team building and exactly what you need to look for uh, when you are building your team of collaborators. But I think this is a good time to point out that like, that is something that's really important, especially when it comes to having a really great sound designer. Because all of it, like this is, this is your set and your sound and your everything. Like this is your whole world that's being built. So, and also sort of work with somebody that you can think outside the box with that you can world build with, because some of these sounds are going to be things that are layered on top of each other that don't seem to make sense at, at first, but then once they get worked into the story, everything feels right.
0: Awesome. All right, I'm going to endeavor to share something. <laughs> cool. So this is a page of the New classes script. It's not too fancy. It looks like a theater script for the most part, but what I want to kind of draw everybody's attention to is towards the top of the page where it says FX, and those are the sound effects. The information included there actually gives the sound designers and the actors a lot to, to work with. So we see distant shore sounds and daytime sounds that two characters are making light conversation, that one, that Conrad is plugging in equipment. So there's the sound of the equipment kind of clicking together and switches flipping and stuff like that. And we also have another character who is on the periphery. So the character is away from the central action, but he's there. And that is Soren. So. What that tells the sound designer, it gives them uh, a sense of the environmental sounds, right? Um, The sounds related to the action. It also helps the actors know what kind of non-dialogue sounds that they they need to make. So when Conrad is plugging in equipment, he's not just clicking things. Uh, it, It helps audience members understand what he's doing. If he's also kind of muttering under his breath as he's flipping things on. It helps Trig and, and Arena, the actors playing those characters, understand what they're doing simultaneously. And so we have to make sure that we get that during those recording days because we have to have that audio track, right, to, to layer in. The other thing that this tells uh, the sound designer and also me as the director is something called sound point of view, which is something I'm still trying to uh, track. Um, Because in the theater, I'm just so used to this idea that people can see the entirety of the the stage and that the point of view is more the choice of the audience members with some um, assistance from, say, the lighting design or the stage picture. But in audio design, you have to think about essentially like where the listener is, like who what character are they most closely associated with and who which characters are far away from that listener. So in this particular instance, and we'll talk more about this, the, the sound point of view is Conrad, right? So our attention is on him and what he is doing and trig and arena need to sound more distant and Soren even farther away. And all that information is folded into the sound design. Otherwise you can see that it looks like a, just a regular old page, page of script. What questions Do we want to take a question break or do we want to continue on? I see all these good, cool things in the chat.
1: Uh, I know Jeanette had something about the world building aspect of sound design. And that is sort of what uh, Tamara was talking about earlier, where if you want to set it on the moon, number one space is a vacuum, but we're doing make-believe here. So (laughs) you have to sit with your designer and decide what does the moon sound like? Are there these sort of ethereal drones that are always going on in the background? Do we hear what we imagine is the sound of an asteroid going by and in the background? Like what what does the moon sound like? If we're in an office, do we always have the hum of an air conditioner going on? Everybody's walking around on carpet. So if we have footsteps, what do those sound like on carpet? And talking about uh, with the effects in the script and, and sort of dynamics and the Doppler effect and where people are in the room in relationship to the listener and to each other. Uh, we're also talking about diegetic sound that you are going to fully, not live fully like a radio play, but if you have actors and they're eating, you want to record those actors eating you want to record the specific mouth sounds of those actors because those are the sounds that you don't want to have sound canned at all. Um, And working with great sound designers, there are obviously ways around that, and there's a lot of layering and other stuff that's going on that makes the other diegetic sound that you don't record sound really great. But like in the New Colossus, we have Masha who uh, almost always is drinking something And so we took some time out of our recording process to record Skylar opening actual cans and drinking actual drinks so that it sounded organic.
0: Yeah. And it also changes your breathing pattern when you drink before you speak or when you eat as you're speaking. Again, I know this because in the Master Builder, I totally goofed that up. I didn't have my actors uh, actually eat. In some cases, I didn't have them actually eating or drinking. And then I listened to it and I was like, (laughs) what it sounded like. Oh my gosh, I'm just remembering this. So there was supposed to be a scene where people are eating and I didn't have them eating while they were recording their voices because I thought that it would make the dialogue nice and clean. And then we tried to add in the sound of them eating and it sounded like someone else was in the room. Eating potato chips while like other people had a conversation. It did not sound like the actors were eating. It sounded like a stranger was in the room, like eating chips. It was so weird. So yeah, you do need to think about how all of those things uh, affect the the sounds that you need to to record during the um during the recording days, which we will talk
1: about that. Oh, I see a question. Yes, we have a question. Jamie has asked, how can you bring audio drama into the devised theater virtual space? I am about to be working on a show virtually that is collaborated through a script by the artists within the show. And we are going to have audio books and a museum-like space attached to the visuals, which are photographs. I... My perspective on this would be uh, to sort of make a, p- a companion piece. It's really hard to have something that is entirely aural uh, meld well with something that is entirely virtual, because when your audience is watching something, to have them take a complete break and and switch how they're paying attention to something is going to be really jarring, I would say, to maybe have some bonus content right some companion content that goes with the piece that you're working on and cr- create a short sort of podcast that you can refer to uh, in in the actual visual piece and that you can also send your audience to after the fact to sort of get uh, more immersive content from them
0: yeah I agree. I mean, I think that the challenge with creating a fully realized audio piece and then also having essentially a fully realized like visual piece is that they'll be competing against one another. I've, I've had that experience before where I went to a show that had a fully realized audio piece, and you're supposed to listen to it as you walked around to see the different scenes that were playing out in front of you. And I had to turn, I had to only listen, do one. I couldn't listen to the audio and... Um, take in the visual scenes, they were competing against one another. So if you're going to experience them as an audience member simultaneously, then I would build them to complement one another rather than build them to compete with another. For sure. Right on. Do you know what's happening with Artist Soapbox? Have your ears missed our original scripted audio fiction? Well, come on and listen to the Declaration of Love Anthology, The New Colossus, and The Master Builder. Get up to dates on patreon.com slash artistsoapbox and become a patron of the podcast. Please see the links in the show notes and at artistsoapbox.org. You can always reach out to artistsoapbox at gmail.com. Stay in touch. Thanks, friends.